All right, welcome to another edition of the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Conn, senior editor of the College Wires. With me, as always, is Tyler Natuma of LSU Tigers Wire and for the win. And we're, we're here. It felt like this season zoomed on by Tyler as we are now in rivalry week, week 13. Uh, and there's still a lot to play for this week. There's still championship game scenarios that need to play out. The SEC is set. The ACC is set. Half of the Big Ten is set, but we're going to dive into a lot of this. But the ACC game is where I want to start. We have Florida State taking on Louisville in this matchup. Now, this matchup has changed a little bit as far as the dynamics of this game because, Tyler, Jordan Travis had a horrific injury against North Alabama in what was supposed to be the final tune-up game before they get ready to play uh, the University of Florida in their annual rivalry game and the matchup against Louisville in the ACC championship. Now, what makes this interesting now is you have a team who lost their starting quarterback, and as some people, Dan Woken of USA Today has mentioned, among others, is the chance that the CFP committee can look at this and say, well, because you don't have Jordan Travis, you might not be one of the four best teams, even though you may finish. 13-0 13-0 with an ACC championship. Uh, and I think this conversation is beginning because this is the first time that we could logically see a four-team playoff with the four teams combining for zero losses. Um, what do you make of that situation? And do you think it would be a mistake to leave Florida State out because they lost their starting quarterback uh, if there were four other teams that were undefeated? like a Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan. Uh, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I mean, so the, the Jordan Travis injury was certainly the biggest development um, of the weekend from from a CFP perspective, uh, and just really horrible. I mean, a gruesome injury for him sucks to, to end his career on that note. You know, a guy that been there a while, you know, been there from multiple coaching staffs, uh, you know, just such a program guy. It really sucks to see it in that way. Um, and it really sucks for Florida State, too, in the midst of what could be a special run here. Um, you know, losing him hurts a lot. You know, obviously, they've got these last two games. You know, we'll see what happens against, you know, a Florida team with a backup quarterback of its own. Uh, but, you know, they won't have him for the Louisville game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, the CFP – can they explicitly are allowed to take that kind of thing into account? You know, they can consider, you know, the strength of the team who's out, um, you know, those kind of things are factors that they are allowed to consider. With that being said though, like, I mean, if FSU wins these next two games without Jordan Travis with Tate Rodemaker at quarterback, like, you know, beating Florida, that's one thing, but you, you know, it is on the road. And then, but I mean, if you get the Louisville win, I mean, that's would be the best win on their resume. That's assuming Louisville takes care of business against Kentucky this weekend. That's a top 10 win. So I think it'd be really hard to justify um, not putting FSU in if they're 13 and 0 and win the ACC. I mean, if you're debating between you know FSU and, and a one loss team if they're undefeated, I don't see how you can take the injury into account to that regard. Now, if they were to lose one of these last two games and all of a sudden we end up in a situation where you're comparing, you know, a one loss Florida State team to a one loss Texas or Alabama team, then you know I could see that that starting to come into into play. You know, I think. At that point, given FSU's strength of schedule and the fact that they don't have Jordan Travis, that could hurt them. But if they win out, man, I mean, I don't know how you can hold it against this team if they still haven't lost, even with Tate Rodemaker playing quarterback. Yeah, you look at the and, – and I um, there won't be four other undefeated teams. There will only be four 
technically, because Ohio State, Michigan play each other uh, this week. But the potential, like you said, if they did have a loss, and you're looking at a a one loss Florida State team versus a potentially one loss Washington team if they were to lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, or uh, you know a one loss. Uh, Washington, one loss Oregon, one loss Texas, one loss Alabama if they were to beat Georgia. And, and this just goes to show that we need that 12-team playoff because there are so many worthy teams of being in this conversation. But I will say I think it would be a mistake for the, the committee to take out a Florida State. Let's not forget in the first edition of the college football playoffs, if I remember correctly, was that not the year that Cardell Jones, the third-string quarterback, led Ohio State to a national championship victory over Oregon? Uh, you know, with, with a third-string quarterback, I mean, if you would have taken them out based on their quarterback situation, well, we never would have saw that historic run with what the Buckeyes did that season. Yeah, and there's a lot of people down in you know down in your neck of the woods that probably are, were upset about that at the time. You know, the fact that they didn't make that decision based on Ohio State's quarterback injuries. And obviously we saw how that um, ended up playing out. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really hard to hold that against Florida State if they don't lose a game here. I mean, you know, if Tate Rodemaker takes care of business as usual, I mean, it's not like they've been destroying everybody. I mean, Miami played them tough. Clemson played them tough. We'll see what happens with Florida and Louisville. But, like, you know, I'm saying they've had close games. So, I mean, I think if they continue to play like they have been, uh, you know, without Jordan Travis, I really don't. I think that would be a, a massive overreach from the CFP committee to to try to, you know, say they shouldn't be in as a 13 to no team, uh, you know, just because their starting quarterbacks hurt, even though, like I said, they've beaten, you know, a rival on the road and uh, likely a top 10 Louisville team um, in the ACC championship at that point. Well, let's talk about rivalry games. Rivalry week it is, right? We, we're going to discuss what are the best rivalries. Unfortunately, once again, there's no Texas versus Texas A&M, which is one of my favorite rivalry games with a, uh, for a guy with, with no dog in the fight. Uh, but there are some very key rivalry games going on this weekend, and one of them is Oregon State, Oregon, formerly known as the Civil War. And if you look at what's at stake this week, I think it's huge when you look at Oregon versus Oregon State. Now, Oregon State, because they lost to Washington, don't have a shot to get into the CFP, or I'm sorry, the Pac-12 title game. But I like this for a couple of reasons. Bo Nix is still in the race to win the Heisman. We can argue, we'll argue about our Heisman pick a little bit later on. Uh, but you look at this game, because if Oregon was to lose this game, Arizona wins their game, we're going to see a rematch of Washington-Arizona. Uh, whereas if Oregon wins this game, Oregon will get to play Washington in the Pac-12 title game. Now, wouldn't it be just perfect scenario? The final game as Pac-12 members, maybe Pac-2 members in the future, for Oregon State to beat Oregon in this game and to knock them out of a Pac-12 title matchup that's featuring two teams that are, that are potentially going to the Big Ten. Otherwise, it would be you know, Washington going to the Big Ten versus Arizona, who's going to the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, it's fitting. You know, that the final game we're going to get in this rivalry series is one of the more uh, consequential ones we've seen in a while. Real quick, Patrick, have they dropped Civil War? Are they not calling it that anymore? Uh, I believe some. Uh, if I, I thought I read somewhere that they didn't weren't going to refer to it as a Civil War anymore just because – 
uh, you know, the, what the term civil war is applying yeah. to. But let's be honest, that's the term that a lot of people are going to use for this game, regardless, because of what it's been called for so many years. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess that's understandable, but it has gone the way of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, it sounds like, so that's a bummer. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, like, yeah, it's a really consequential game here because, like you said, uh, Arizona still has a path to the Pac-12 championship against a Washington team that they gave a really good game uh, a couple months ago. So, interested to see, and Arizona's playing better now than they were then, you know, coming off a huge win over Utah, pretty impressive. Uh, and Oregon State has a big opportunity here. I mean, they won this game last year. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think Oregon State has taken a leap this year for sure. And I think Oregon has too. You know, this team's playing so well right now. I think ever since the Washington game, which they had a really good shot to win, you know, talked about it at the time, go 0 for 3 on fourth downs, where if you convert probably one of them, you're going to win that game. So, uh, you know, that game was about as much of a toss-up as you can get. They've looked as good as anyone in the country since then. So, I mean, really intriguing game we've got here. I thought Oregon State, you know, acquitted themselves pretty well against Washington. You know, that was in a like driving rainstorm. So that certainly impacted a Washington team that really relies on, you know, downfield passing. Um, so I think that's something to kind of keep in mind. But, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, you know. And like you, like you said, uh, you know, we could really see a – you know, as much as we've been thinking we were getting a Washington-Oregon rematch, things could get a little squirrely here, depending on what happens in this game. So, And it's the last one. You know, uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, that they announced that Washington and Washington State have agreed to continue the Apple Cup uh, beyond this year, you know, with Washington leaving for the Big Ten. No such agreement um, in this rivalry as of now. So this is the last one for the foreseeable future. Um, could be some fireworks. Absolutely could be some fireworks on that one. That, that to me, this game – uh, there's a lot on the table. Speaking of a lot on the table, there's another game going on this weekend, Tyler, uh, that it's there's a lot on the line. Big Ten title birth, college football playoff spot. I mean, it could be like last year where both teams still get in. But uh, what do you think about this matchup going on at the big house? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't think we're looking at a year where the loser of this game gets in. I just want to I just want to put that out there right now. You know, I, we didn't necessarily think that was going to happen um, at the time last year. Ended up playing out that way. I think it would take a lot uh, this season. There's a lot of teams in the mix, a lot more than there were uh, this time last year. So I think the stakes here are really clear. I think winner is going to probably win the Big Ten and go to the playoff. Loser is going to, I guess, not the Rose Bowl, but another New Year's Six game. And, I mean, you know, I think both – programs you know for being so good they have each a lot of anxiety coming into this game i mean ohio state cannot afford to lose this game three years in a row ryan day can't afford to lose this game three years in a row as good as his record is and you know i think he's as good a coach truly as as anyone in the country you know this side of, of nick saban and kirby smart but i mean you know that's a fan base that judge judges a season by what happens on one game thanksgiving weekend and can't lose it three years in a row, especially when you had, you know, uh, such a long streak going prior to that. Um, you got to, you got to find a way to reverse that this year in Michigan, you know, don't really need to uh, go in too deep on that one. I think it's kind of self-evident, but you know, no Jim Harbaugh, obviously massive chip on their shoulders, some manufactured adversity there. Um, you know, just really intriguing game. I think Michigan looked the most vulnerable they have all season last week against a pretty bad Maryland team. That game was way more competitive than we expected. You know, Ohio State, more tested, you know, taking care of business. 
recently. I, I think it, it's shaping up to be a really interesting game. And I felt pretty good about Michigan winning it a couple weeks ago. I'm less confident in that now, honestly. I think it's much more uh, of a toss-up game than I than I thought it was, you know, just earlier, you know, this month or late October. You know, it's really interesting. If you go back to the preseason, back in July, Paul Feinbaum was discussing Ryan Day about being on the hot seat. Um, and, you know, that's a little bit surprising considering the man has got six total losses in his career as the head coach at Ohio State. But two of those losses, as you mentioned, were against the biggest rivals, Michigan, the last two years. He loses three straight. That's going to be tough. But it also is interesting to me that somebody who would, at that time, if, if that is indeed the case after this week, that he loses and he's 54-7 and seven, and people are talking about hot seat. Um, you know, that's really interesting to me. I, I think Ohio State needs to win this game. Uh, but I think if there's a resume that could survive a one loss, especially if it's a close loss to Michigan, it would probably be Ohio State. But then again, the college football playoff committee could make the argument that Michigan, if they were to law, if they were to lose, they go, well, they didn't have Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but I don't know if they want to open that can of worms. Uh, but this really is a huge matchup for both. Um, and it could be the last matchup where we see Jim Harbaugh as the head football coach of Michigan. Uh, obviously, he's not going to coach in this game, but this could be the last season uh, with Harbaugh considering what is transpiring off the field uh, for the Wolverines with recent firings that they've made and the recent allegations about the NCAA probe into the sign-sealing scandal. Yeah, and, you know, I'll just say this right now. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders job currently open. Um, Los Angeles Chargers job not currently open. Uh, but they lost to Green Bay yesterday. And then Brandon Saley had kind of a uh, – I don't want to call it a meltdown, but he was not – it was not – didn't look like a head coach under control in the press conference after. So that's a situation to watch, you know, established young quarterback. I'm Point B, I, Harbaugh is going to look at NFL options this year, as he always – has you know as he has been the last two off seasons um it's only going to be more amplified this year with everything that's gone on this is just a fact of life now i think until he leaves or retires you're going to have to deal with this every off season and there's going to be some some uh, potential suitors this year that's all i'm going to say you know it's interesting i remember as we talk about the situation with Harbaugh, and i remember people saying oh well, the nfl is not going to look at him if he's under investigation the ncaa uh, tell that to Antonio Pierce, the interim <laughs> head coach of the Los Angeles. Yeah, Rangers. I was going to uh, say, I was like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I'm not buying it either. Uh, there's plenty going to be left to talk about, but that's another one of those games that you've got to watch this weekend just to see the intrigue and, and what could p- potentially be the fallout of that game. But let's talk about who's going to punch their ticket to the postseason. We're talking about those teams that are sitting at five and six with an opportunity this weekend. Uh, Tyler, who are you looking at? Yeah, um, I've got a team that doesn't have a head coach currently. You know, Dino Babers fired at Syracuse uh, on Sunday. You know, I think saw it coming. You know, they've had sort of the last two seasons have played out in pretty much identical fashion for them. They started out last year. They started out six and zero. This year they started out either four and zero or five and zero. Point being, like nice undefeated start, long losing streak. They're tired of it. It's been eight years. Um, he's got like a he had like a forty one and fifty five record, something along those lines. So. Uh, Dino Babers out, but, you know, uh, interim coaches, their tight ends coach, Nunzio Campanile, he is, uh, got an opportunity to get bowl eligible this weekend. They're five and six. They're playing Wake Forest, a four and seven Wake Forest team, really a, a rough year for Wake Forest. You know, 
they got picked, I believe, to finish last in the ACC before the season, which kind of I, I was I, I was surprised by that because, you know, I mean, you losing Sam Hartman is tough. But, you know, Dave Clawson is a really good coach and he's had success there without Sam Hartman. So, you know, Mitch Griffiths, the quarterback, was Hartman's backup played when he was dealing with the blood clots uh, last year. So kind of expected that would, you know, be relatively turnkey. Hasn't really been. They've had a rough season. You know, Syracuse has not played well against the better teams in the league, but they've still been fairly competitive um, in games kind of against the middle of the pack. I think this is a really good opportunity for them. Uh, and I think, you know, getting to a bowl game would maybe give them a little bit of momentum going into this higher because it's a hard job. I mean, Syracuse is a tough power five job, you know, private school in central New York, like in the ACC, which is a dying conference. Like this is a uh, not a, not an easy job. So I think any momentum you can get coming into a new hire would probably be good. Both seasons, they they ended up losing six of their final seven games. Last year, one of those six games was against Wake Forest, a team that they haven't beat since 2019, the 39-30 finish in Syracuse. Uh, not looking great, uh, but we'll see if they get any kind of bump with Dino Babers now out uh, in the ACC. Uh, that That is going to be an extremely difficult job, whoever – takes a hold of that um, because they're kind of behind the game as far as facilities, as far as NIL. So that, that is a tough job uh, at Syracuse. This, and it's just interesting because they just had, they're just replacing their basketball coach after last season, Jim Beheim, um, And now the football coach situation that's got to get uh, fixed. Uh, let's talk about another game. Uh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, sorry. I was just saying like, just real quick, one more note on Syracuse. Like, yeah, that's a good point too. Cause like it's baked into the fact that it's a basketball school and you know, wow, Kentucky and Duke are also basketball schools. You know, Kentucky's not a private school. Duke's in the South where it's easier to recruit football players. So like Syracuse is a basketball school without some of the football advantages that other basketball schools do have. So yeah, really tough job. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could bring up North Carolina, you could uh, bring up Kansas, you know, yeah. uh, you know, all these basketball powers or, or schools that are, predominantly good in basketball, uh, they have those opportunities, whereas Syracuse is looking at a little tougher slate. Uh, you know, the game that I'm looking at is the team that lost to my Red Raiders last week, UCF. They're going to be at home, senior day. I'm kind of interested to see how John Rice Plumley goes out. Uh, they're going up against Houston, whose Houston season's over. All that they can do at this point is play spoiler, uh, but I have to like the job that R.J. Harvey is done running the football for UCF. You look at that wide receiver combo, you know, both wide receivers transferred in from Alabama and Auburn. We're talking about Kobe Hudson and Javon Baker. Uh, they're going to be able to attack that that Houston secondary who, uh, if you go back and look at some of their games this year, they really can't slow anybody down. And I don't feel like their offense is good enough uh, to keep up in a shootout. Uh, after fumbling their, their way – Last week against Texas Tech, I think UCF gets it done this week uh, and punches their ticket to the postseason with a six and six record. Yeah, I mean, are, are you with me? Like, am I off base in saying that I feel like UCF has far and away been the most ready to go of these newcomers? Like, to me, it's not not even really close. I mean, like, yeah, when you, would when you, you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, you look at. You know, BYU has looked horrible this year at, at times, yeah. and, and their offense looks lost. Uh, they've got to figure some things out. Kalani, uh, Kalani Sataki needs Sataki. to um, – You know, yeah, he needs to clear some things up there. Houston looks horrible. UCF has looked pretty good. Cincinnati with Scott Satterfield. Look, I didn't think Satterfield should have had a job 
uh, after last year with Cincinnati, maybe take a year off, be a, an assistant somewhere. Uh, he jumped right into it with Cincinnati, uh, and they looked lost. Uh, you know, and, and they were, were transfer heavy with some of their guys with Emory Jones and Xavier Henderson, so a couple of Florida guys that um, you're familiar with. But, yeah, the, yeah. It, of the of the group, yeah, he, he does. And, and that's not surprising to me that UCF looks the most ready because I think Gus Malzahn is a pretty good football coach, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Do I think he's the greatest head coach? Not really, but I do like the way that he dials it up offensively. And he's one of these coaches who can get – I think he gets more out of his players um, with less, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a, that's basically the exact point I was kind – that's kind of the, the line I was heading in is, you know – I mean, obviously Scott Satterfield, that I don't want to like pile on too much, but that was a baffling hire. I, I made no sense at the time makes even less sense now that we're almost a year into it. Just, uh, we'll see how that one goes. But I mean, Gus Malzahn, like only one of this group that, that has, you know, a track record of power five success. I think he's the best coach of these newcomers. Um, and he's got them, you know, they're competitive this year. I mean, they, they, absolutely pummeled Oklahoma state in a game that really just made no sense. They should have beaten Baylor, um, you know, had, had a really bad uh, blown lead in that game. And then, you know, uh, they almost beat Oklahoma too. So I think that, you know, they've, they've really looked like they're close. And I think this is a good opportunity to end the year, get bowl eligible against, like you said, a struggling Houston team, Houston team that, as we'll mention uh, in a little bit later in the show, maybe going to be the last week of the current era here. We'll see how that one plays out, but yeah, I mean, I think making a bowl would be great progress for UCF. You know, being the only newcomer to get to a bowl game, they'd be huge for this program. I think they've been waiting for this moment for a long time, and I think they've got a good architect leading them there into the Big 12, in the new era of the Big 12, um, in Gus Malzahn. So I'm excited to see what this team is able to do, you know, when some of these powerhouses clear out of the conference next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the new Big 12 next year is going to have Cam Rising returning. Uh, for yeah. seventh year. Another quarterback who could play for a seventh year, obviously he's not going to be a Texas Tech, is Tyler Shuck, uh, who announced on Sunday that he was going to be entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer. He'll be playing on his third team uh, because he wants to play in the NFL. He's going to need a full season, so we'll see if he can stay healthy, uh, play a seventh year. Who knows where he might land. Uh, but as I always do, I like to stick in the Big 12. Uh, it's you know it's my bread and butter. It's the thing that I know the most. So let's talk about musty games, and I'm going to be talking about my Red Raiders against Texas. This week, uh, Friday night in Austin, final time that for a while that these two teams will likely play. Uh, let's be honest, Texas has owned this matchup for most of its um, most of the time. But when these two teams have met on Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving, uh, they play some close games at times. Tech has won a few in Austin, um, but that's not why this game's interesting to me. I mean, if Texas wins this game, they clinch their spot, the number one spot in the Big 12 championship. They'll be the home team. Um, and then they have to await all of Saturday's action to see who they'll be playing. But for me, it's Brett Yormark who's going to be in Austin. And I know this has got Texas fans in a tizzy. And let me tell you why. Because back in August when Brett Yormark was in Lubbock, and he was talking to the fans in Lubbock, and he played to their emotions when he said, Coach McGuire, I'm not going to put any pressure on you, but I'm going to be in Austin for Thanksgiving, okay? Uh, and you better take care of business like you did right here in Lubbock last year. Now, he later explained that he was playing to the crowd, having fun, but I don't think Texas fans are going to buy that one bit. They want to win this game. They want to win it big just because they want to throw some egg on the face of Brett Yormark. 
Yeah, which, I mean, look, I understand, like, you don't really want to have, like, some semblance of bias from the league office or whatever. But, like, I'm sorry, man. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Like, I, it's, it's, I'm sick of it. Like, these new, like, it's the same thing you're seeing it in, like, the Pac 12, too. The teams that are leaving the Pac 12, like, they, I mean, look at all the, the whole legal thing that's played out between Oregon State and Washington State and the rest of the departing Pac 12. Like, these teams want to, you know, leave and leave the conference like in a lurch, you know, leave in the, in the middle of the night, you know, without any warning. And then all of a sudden they want to be like catered to like, I'm sorry, like it's good. Of course, it's going to make the league mad when you blow up, a you know, an existing established league. So I think people need to calm down about that. And Brett Yormark's not going to have any direct impact on this game, but it's a good one. It's an exciting one. You know, I think it's a bummer. This rivalry's ending. It kind of has some sentiment, sentimental value to me a little bit because, you know, back when uh, the, the 2008 season was kind of the first year where, you know, I, I'd follow Florida before that, but that was kind of the first year where I was like really locked into college football, like as a whole. Um, and I remember one of the first, like, wow, this sport is incredible games was that, you know, that, that Michael Crabtree game back in 2008. I remember coming back from a Florida Georgia game, watching that, you know, the end of that game. And it was just incredible. So a lot of great, you know, moments in this rivalry. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, I think it's a bummer that, it's, you know, kind of one of the casualties of this, of the new era of the sport, but, you know, really interesting game, you know, a Texas team that's played, you're not really able to, you know, pull away from teams significantly. I mean, a three point win over TCU two weeks ago, sort of played with their food a little bit against Iowa state, a decent Iowa state team on the road. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of intrigue here and Texas tech has the opportunity to kind of, you know, fire one last shot across the bow and ruin Texas this season. Yeah. And very much like the 2008 season, while Tech was undefeated at the time, too. They had something to play for. They were playing for a Big 12 uh, title berth, which never came uh, because of that three-way tie with Oklahoma. But, again, have the same type of opportunity where that loss cost Texas a shot at the title. A loss here absolutely ruins any op- opportunity, whereas a win still leaves them in the running. Uh, but, you know, and, I, and I'm not surprised by Brett Yormark's comments back in August and – truth uh mostly because you know brett's kind of the hip commissioner you know fans love him i mean he worked in the nba he worked you know with you know the brooklyn nets and in that group so not real surprised that brett is the kind of the guy that does not have a problem pushing the envelope so to speak uh but let's talk about your game that your your must-see game uh on rivalry week yeah so it's not like the most exciting matchup of the weekend um, but it is one that I think has some really interesting sort of storylines to it. So I'm looking at I'm looking at Clemson, South Carolina. You know, last year, you know, South Carolina ends not only Clemson's winning streak um, in the rivalry series that have been like seven years, something like that, um, but also they end like a 30-something game home winning streak for Clemson. We've since seen them drop. Uh, they dropped the FSU game at home two this year. So, you know, revenge game here for Clemson now going on the road to Columbia against a South Carolina team that's had a pretty disappointing year. You know, um, it, team that people thought might be an SEC East dark horse, you know, after the way they closed things out last year, hasn't played out like that at all. You know, I've lost some tough games. They're five and six opportunity to get to a bowl game here. Um, feels like something that Shane Beamer really needs to do in year three, but to do it, he's going to have to beat a Clemson team that sort of been playing better recently. I think the defense is really good. You know, we saw them do a good job of, of containing Drake may in North Carolina this past weekend. They've, they've done that. You know, they, they, I think, Klubnik's playing better. They're, they're establishing the run and their defense is very solid. So it's a tough team to beat, you know, and I don't think South Carolina is as explosive as we saw last week. So, I mean, I think 
to me, just both teams have a lot of anxiety here because, I mean, if you're Clemson, you know, Dabo is sort of right of the ship here a little bit. I think if you end this year, you could win this game, go eight and four, win a bowl game, go nine and four. I think people are feeling pretty good about that. You know, maybe Dabo makes some more changes this offseason, but, you know, he, he sort of salvaged what looked like it could be heading towards a really bad season. Uh, that all goes out the window, though, if you lose to your biggest rival for the second year in a row. And if you're South Carolina, you know, I don't think anyone thought five and seven was a possibility this year. You know, you lose this game to an unranked Clemson team at home. You know, you've lost games at home to a Florida team that you had a 10-point lead on with, like, less than two minutes to play. You know, they've they've really squandered some opportunities here. I think this is one that neither team can really afford to lose. So it, it makes it interesting. Yeah, and it kind of – I want to see, you know, is this going to be the last game for Rattler um, or, or is there a bowl game coming? Yeah, you know, I, I want to I see that. But, again, you'll get a Clemson team. They need something to build on. Um, and I think it starts with this winning this football game, potentially winning their bowl game, go to the offseason, build some momentum. Dabo finally looking himself in the mirror and saying, okay, I've got to, I've got to address some of these transfers. i got to bring some guys in uh, to help boost up his, his roster. But I think, you know, it is an interesting game. It may not have a ton of intrigue when it comes to some of the better rivalry games, so to speak. Um, it does have a lot of intrigue with a bowl game on the line or – Egg on the face, so uh, like I've said before, with with uh, Dabo Sweeney, so that'll be interesting. Aubrey, let's talk about the Heisman Trophy since everybody wants to talk about the Heisman and who should be ranked number one. Uh, I know when we look at this, Michael Penix Jr. was kind of the front runner uh, to begin the season. It kind of feels like he's died down, and two other guys have kind of stepped up. So go ahead, Tyler, make your case. For your candidate to win the Heisman Trophy this year? So the Heisman is meant for, it's meant to be for the most outstanding player um, in the country. Not, you know, the most outstanding player that's on the best, you know, the, the not the best quarterback on a team with one loss or less. Um, and if you're looking at who the most outstanding player in the country this season is, it is at, at this exact moment, there's two weeks left in the season. But at this exact moment, the most outstanding player in the country is far and away is Jaden Daniels. I, I mean, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a player like him. I mean, he, the way he throws the ball and his speed, I mean, he, he runs like Tyree Kill. I mean, I, I don't understand it. He hits like 4-2. You know, he runs like a 4-2-40. Like, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't understand how you can be that fast as a quarterback that's six foot four. He is absolutely unreal. You know, the production is all there. I mean – we have a nice piece up on LSU Wire right now that was published yesterday by one of our writers, uh, Will Rosenblatt. Did a really nice job comparing the stats between uh, Jaden Daniels and the guy that you're going to talk about in Bo Nix. You know who, and when you look at the comparison between the stats again at this exact moment in time, because there's two weeks left in the year, and Bo Nix is probably going to get an extra game, so keep that in mind. But at this exact moment in time, it's no comparison. Jaden Daniels has the best numbers in the country of anyone, and, and Bo Nix having a great season. Like there's no like he, I mean. It would be a valid choice to vote for Bo Nix to win the Heisman, but if things continue at the rate they're on right now and Jane Daniels doesn't win it, I, I honestly think it'd be like a travesty, and I think it would kind of subvert the legitimacy of the award, which has kind of happened already a bit in recent years. But I think if he doesn't win it this year and he produces the way he did last week against uh, Georgia State against Texas a and I mean, he, I mean, look, LSU is clearly trying to get him the Heisman. Like Brian Kelly left him in the game in a blowout well into the fourth quarter. He had eight total touchdowns tied Joe Burrow's SEC record for single game touchdowns, six passing, two rushing. 
I mean, it's just absolutely unreal. The production he's at 46 touchdowns on the season total. I just crazy. Yeah. You can look at uh, some of those numbers. Those are crazy. Uh, one thing that I thought was crazy over the last three games, Jaden Daniels has 16 touchdowns to one interception. If you factor in his rushing touchdowns, do you know what Bo Nick's numbers are in the last three games? Six touchdowns it. to one interception. The exact same number, uh, which I think is very interesting. Yeah, he's got 35 touchdowns, only two interceptions this year. Let's also not forget the fact that he's probably about to set an NCAA record for the highest completion percentage, uh, breaking the record that uh, Mac Jones set during his national championship run at 78.1. That's where he sits right now. You also can factor in his rushing touchdowns. They're not as high as they were last year. He had 15 last year, only five this year. Uh, but still, the fact that he's got 40 touchdowns, two interceptions, and I know, like you said, Jaden Daniels, 46-2. and two. Uh, I honestly, like, I'll make my case for Bo uh, based on what's going on. You know, again, he's leading Oregon to potentially a national championship berth, uh, getting into the college football playoff. Uh, it's all going to depend on what happens this weekend against Oregon State. And it's also going to happen what happens in the Pac-12 title game should they win against Washington, get their revenge, get the 12-1. and It's going to be hard to leave them out of the conversation, especially after somebody loses this weekend. Um, so I, I totally understand that. But, again, now we're talking about a quarterback on a contending team, the one thing that you don't want. Uh, but here's my thing on Jaden Daniels. I don't have a problem with a quarterback who's playing on a three-loss team who's putting up those kind of numbers being the Heisman winner because we've seen it before. Um, was – was RG3 on a team that was contending for a national championship the year that he won it? I don't think so. I believe they had three losses. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to go back and look. Um, Johnny Manziel, who everybody talked about the most electric player in college football that year. Um, your guy, Tim Tebow, won it on a three-loss team. So it's not like this is uncharted territory. We've seen this before, and that is why – while my argument is for Bo Nix, I can totally understand Jaden Daniels because, let's be honest, he is putting out some ridiculous numbers. And a lot of that, like you said, is because Brian Kelly refused to take him out, and I don't blame him. Uh, let him let him beef up that resume considering he's going to have to play one. He's probably going to play one less game than Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, and Brian Kelly literally said after the game. I mean, he didn't, he didn't say specifically we're leaving him in to try to get him the Heisman, but he said, like, I feel obligated to that it's my responsibility to advocate for the guy, like like you know, push him, put him out there as much as possible. Like he said, his philosophy, coaching philosophy in that regard, and like lobbying for awards has changed um, with Jaden Daniels. So, I mean, you know, like you said, guys have won the Heisman on three lost teams before. That's far from unprecedented. And I mean, LSU's defense is horrific. Like to to even be in position to be nine and three. Jaden Daniels has to put up 50 points a game and he's done that. And and they've still almost, you know, they still have not been able to win some games. I mean, they would have put up 40 on that Alabama defense if he hadn't, you know, gotten the concussion and without Jaden Daniels, this LSU team is truly five, six losses. I mean, even with the weapons they have offensively outside of him, he, he is such a dynamic player. You can't just plug and play with someone else there. And the defense is so bad. So I mean, to me, like if you're talking about who is the most valuable player to their team in the entire country, it's there, there's not even a comparison. I don't think there's anyone else who brings more, you know, wins above replacement or whatever metric you want to use to their team than Jaden Daniels does. Yeah, no, I can I can totally see where you're coming from on that one. I you know, I think it's I think it's you're spot on there. 
Um, if you take him off of that team, how you know how how are they? How good are they? Um, so I, I completely, I'm completely with you on that. Um, it, but again, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that all plays out. Uh, but let's talk about some coaches who might potentially be on the hot seat uh, after this season, going into the off season. Uh, but before I, we get into our guys, I want to share you a quote. I saw this from On Three. Uh, basically, it was Paul Feinbaum on Lincoln Riley. I don't know if I've seen a worse coaching job by anyone uh, by anyone than Lincoln Riley this year. It's a complete disaster. And quite frankly, he ought to pack it up. I don't really see his path moving forward. Blamed everything on Alex Grinch. They haven't been any better. They've been worse. Well, maybe, Lincoln, you ought to look in the mirror. Maybe you're just a total fraud as a coach. Maybe you just lived off a couple of Heisman winners. What Oklahoma did for you, all the people in Oklahoma who were heartbroken two years ago never thought that they'd get over their blow-off. They're over it now. Lincoln Riley is nowhere near the coach that we collectively tried to make him to be. Have you ever seen a college season ruined more than Lincoln Riley did for Caleb Williams? I said this a, a year ago, and I thought it was really a shame that Bryce Young had such a terrible final year. He lost two games. I mean, you have a generational quarterback, and he finished seven and five. So, real quick before we really dive into that, have you ever seen a college season ruined more than what Lincoln Riley did for Caleb Williams? I'd probably point to Patrick Mahomes. I'm a little biased there. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes put up ridiculous numbers before going to the NFL, but he never really had a chance to show it off on the national level because his defense was so horrific, which is very reminiscent of what we saw with USC this year. And I know you're not exactly a guy who buys in to Lincoln Riley, but I just thought it was interesting that Paul Feinbaum went on this whole, maybe you should just quit. I don't know that I'm there. I don't know that I'm there. But uh, – this is his first year of adversity, and I feel like everybody's just like gone off the rails when it comes to Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I, I mean, I love when Feinbaum goes nuclear. He doesn't do it very often, but sometimes just out of nowhere he will, and he did that here. I think his his Lincoln Riley take is a bit advanced. I I honestly though like am starting to trend in that direction a little bit. I I think. I don't know, man. This was a really rough year. I don't think anyone thought. I mean, we, we talked about USC before the season. We both were like, I'm not sure if we buy this as a playoff team. I think there are some flaws. I don't think the defense has improved enough. I can't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when I was saying that, I meant like they're going to go 10 and 2 or something like that. Like, I, there's going to be like last year. I didn't mean they go 7 and 5 and lose every tough game on the slate and almost lose to like Colorado and stuff. Like, I mean, I, this has been a disaster of a season um, and, and a real waste of a, of a, I don't know if I want to say generational player, like that might be a bit excessive, but a very, very talented and fun college football. I mean, and I don't want to say like, I mean, he'll be NFL prospect too, but you know, a guy that, you know, at the college level was just as, as fun a player as you'll see really missed an opportunity here. And I think, you know, the bigger problem with Lincoln is that a lot of the issues he has, you know, are reminiscent to issues he had at Oklahoma. I think, Oklahoma fans have been a little vindicated in that. You know, I think that, you know, say what you will about Brad Venables. I think this team has missed the mark at times this year, but he's building, I think, a program that's more identity-wise poised to compete nationally than than what Lincoln Riley's doing. Um, and, you know, going to the Big Ten, man, I, like, I don't know. You know, maybe he goes and hires Zach Arnett or, you know, gets some other really good defensive mind to, to run that thing and they get things fixed. But the recruiting's not there right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Malachi Nelson. You know, you and I talked about this off air, but like, you know, five stars, as, as much as you want to have a five-star recruit at quarterback, it doesn't always work out the way it did with Caleb Williams. So 
I just I have a lot of questions about the way this is going with Lincoln. I don't think anyone thought that they would have lose as much momentum uh, just across the board as they did this season. Uh, to answer your question, no, I think I was thinking nine and three might have been a a, a real possibility for yeah. L- or for USC. I'm, I, I don't know that I thought that they would go the route of seven and five. Um, you know that that itself is interesting, and I was just looking it up on the. USA Today coaches salary database, but uh, I guess because USC is private, um, we have no information on that. But I assume he's got a really ridiculously high buyout, so I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if, with some of the conversation around Lincoln, that he might look to the NFL in the future. But at this point in time, I don't know. I just feel like one bad season in this guy's tenure and everybody's uh, acting like he's Dave Aranda. Which, by the way, is the coach that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Dave Aranda, another coach, he coaches at a uh, private school. But this is interesting to me. I feel like he should be on the hot seat. And I kind of question if he's going to survive this offseason. If you look at what happened when he took over the program in 2020 after Matt Rule went to the NFL, he finished 2-7. and seven. Not surprising considering, uh, but he turned it completely around. He actually pulled a Matt Rule. The very next season, going from pretty much worst to first, he went from ninth in the Big 12 to first, won the Sugar Bowl, finished fifth in the AP poll, sixth in the Coaches Bowl, 12 and two record. He's won nine games since in two years. He's nine and 15. And I don't know if you've watched any Baylor football this year, uh, but anytime that they play a team that's decent on offense, not great, decent on offense, they get absolutely boat raced. Um, and you can look at their games, some of the games that they've had this year. Uh, they're bad, really bad. And so it makes me wonder, is Dave Aranda a guy who is just a good coordinator and not a very good head coach, or is he in a situation that is hard to win because of all the talented college football programs in Texas, and we're seeing guys like you know, Joey McGuire bring a five-star wide receiver to Lubbock? We're seeing, you know, Texas A&M, who constantly is up there. Texas is constantly up there. Uh, you know, TCU can recruit pretty well. Uh, it feels like everybody around them is getting better, except for Baylor and, you know, maybe Houston. Uh, but maybe he's a better coordinator. I don't know. But the situation as it's brewing in Waco doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think my Aranda take mo- most of the season has been, you know, look, big buyout. It's your – Four, your three, your four. Mm-hmm. Like this guy's gonna probably stick around. Uh, now though, like I don't, I don't know, man. Like they, yeah, they're really bad. They're so bad. I don't really understand how they're this bad. I mean, they start things off losing to Texas State, which a better Texas State team than we thought they were at the time, but not like the best, te- not like a top five G five team. You know, still a team that has flaws. No real excuse for how much of a beatdown they put on Baylor in that opener. And since then, things have only gotten worse. You know, what, two weeks ago, they they got absolutely pummeled by Kansas State, which, like, yeah, Kansas State does that to people. But, like, man, 59 to 25, I think is what that was. Like, come on, man. You can't do that. And, and you know, I think, you know, mentioning Joey McGuire is a really interesting point because Joey McGuire, a guy that was on this staff, and it seems like losing him is hurt. You know, he was kind of the the – I guess Texas liaison on a staff of guys that, you know, especially with Dave Aranda, no real Texas ties. He's not a Texas guy, Um, you know, he's coached all around the country, but not really a a Texas lifer by any stretch of the imagination. And I think they're missing him. You know, I think they're missing McGuire. 
I mean, they've already said, like, I mean, there's going to be offensive staff changes here if Dave Aranda doesn't doesn't get the axe. I mean, their AD went out on the record a couple months ago and, like, said that. Like, said they're, we're going to make staff changes after the season. So you can expect that. Um, and Aranda's probably going to stick around and be allowed to make those staff changes. But, man, with every passing week, I become a little less confident in that fact because this is just a really bad team. You had to go to overtime to beat a bad Houston team. You almost lost to a really bad Cincinnati team in in the blowouts. And, and guess what? This week against West Virginia is probably not going to get any better um, because I don't know that they can stop Garrett Green, who just absolutely went off last week, um, their, that quarterback. So you know, for me, when I look at this team and how they're performing, David Rannum might not be the answer, but I don't know – if they have the money to do anything about it this offseason, it might be one of those they've just got to sit on it and wait till the next cycle, which I don't know that it's going to get any easier to replace them then either. Yeah, I mean, at least you're not competing with uh, with Texas A&M, though. You know, I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be a massive Texas opening next year, which I mean, I think for any job, I mean, I think we talked about this, too, for Arkansas. I think that I think that impacted Arkansas decision making, too, I think. It's. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I think it's it's less likely Sam Pittman sticks around if 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 the A and M job doesn't open up because I think you know guys like Jeff Trailer who who we know you know this week it got reported interviewed for the Texas A and M job so obviously a candidate there I think is a would have been a candidate at the Arkansas job would be a candidate at this Baylor job if it were to open uh, but it's going to be hard to convince anyone to come to, you, to, come to your job uh, if Texas A and M also wants them. Yeah, Jeff Trailer, former uh, associate head coach at Arkansas before he took over uh, the program at UTSA, and he's done a fantastic job there and, and really uh, has another opportunity to win a conference championship, depending on how they play against Tulane and have an opportunity to play SMU, most likely uh, in that title game. Now, Tyler, for you, as we wrap things up, uh, you're also sticking in the Lone Star State as far as your coach that's probably going to be feeling the most heat this weekend. Yeah, it's Dana. Like, I just think we're at a point where, like, I don't really know. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to exhaust this argument because I think we've talked about it a lot um, all season on this show. They're not where they need to be. I mean, I think they. You know, every time you think they're turning a corner, like you know, got a lead on Oklahoma State. Okay, what do they do in here? They don't pull it out, and they end up losing by thirteen at home. Like, I just, I don't see it with this team. I, I think that, you know, like like all these newcomers have struggled, but I think I'd say UCF has shown signs that this team can compete at this level. I think I'd say even BYU has looked a little bit, you know, feisty. I mean, they gave Oklahoma a run for their money on Saturday. So, yep. I mean, I, I think that I just look at where this Houston team is at. I feel like it should be. Even even taking UCF into account, I feel like this should be the the of these newcomers the job that's best poised to succeed um, in in the new era. And honestly, the only program right now that I think looks like it's in a worse spot is Cincinnati. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Dana couldn't afford a losing season here. Um, I think you know people understood that it was going to be a tough challenge coming into the Big Twelve, but I don't think they've met that challenge at all. Um, and I think. There's just so many good candidates in the state of Texas, even with, you know, we talked about the AM thing opening. I think the level of desperation in, in Houston is a little bit more than the level of desperation in Waco. And also, I think Houston is a potentially better job 
um, now that it's in the power five than Baylor is, um, you know, and certainly doesn't have some of the limitations of being a private school. Well, let's talk about, you know, Houston and Dana, he's as close to a 500 coach at Houston, three seasons of four or less wins since he took over in 2019. One of those was the COVID year where they went three and five, Um, you know, take that how you will. Uh, Then he went 12 and two and then eight and five and four and seven. Um, So 31 and 27 overall, 20 and 18 in conference play. My big concern this year was the loss to Rice to kick it off. How they looked against a TCU team who has looked very pedestrian early in the year. Um, You talk about the loss to Texas. They put up some fight, but Texas seems to let people back in. We've seen that all year long. Yeah, the game against Kansas State. Uh, The Cincinnati game. The Oklahoma State game. Now, the Oklahoma State game, Oklahoma State was coming off a 45-3 to loss to UCF, uh, but also Oklahoma State was behind in this game, and Houston lets them claw all back in it. Um, it essentially just hands them another loss, which eliminates them from postseason play. And then, obviously, this week against UCF, I feel like it's probably going to be another one of those opportunities that they're just – you know, they have an opportunity to play spoiler. I don't think they will. Uh, it's just been tough all the way around, and, and I – much like – Things got bad in at West Virginia, and reason why he left town. Uh, I feel like it's about to get bad in Houston as well. Yeah, and, and like, like, look, I think it's important to recognize that Houston's a program that's been operating like a Power Five team for a while, not just this season. And when they poached Dana away from West Virginia to bring him back to his home state, they gave him a contract that was, you know, a, a, like a low-level Power Five head coaching kind of contract. Like it was a competitive contract. The results when they were in the American weren't even really in line with that. You know, he wasn't even, I don't think, meeting like the Tom Herman standards, you know, from from his Houston days, you know, I, I think, or, or the Kevin, Kevin Sullivan standards. Like, they weren't living up to that other than that one season uh, where they went 12 and 2. And now they're in the Big 12. I mean, it just doesn't even seem like they're close. So, like, I, I don't know what you can point to if you're Dan. Like, I, I don't know what proof of concept you have. Like, am I supposed to look at a 12-2 and two season when you were in the American two years ago and be like, okay, you've got this figured out, you know, in the new era of the Big 12 with, you know, an Arizona team that, you know, we'll see if Jed Fish gets poached. But if he's still there, I think a, a program that is – going in the right direction, a Utah program that's about as, uh, you know, consistent as we see Arizona state's on the come up, you know, Colorado, we'll see what's happening there. But point being like, I mean, this team could so easily be way near the bottom of that mix for a while. Um, and I think this is a, a crucial off season to kind of, of reverse that course and get this team back on track towards actually being a, a relevant group uh, power five program. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, it doesn't look good, and we'll see. You know, As the carousel continues to spin, plenty of openings that we're seeing at the Power 5 level, at the G5 level. Um, and I, With the end of the season coming up uh, this weekend, regular season finale, I think we're going to see a lot more coaches being let go, and we'll see as these schools look to scramble, uh, as we get closer to the early signing period coming up just before Christmas, um, they're going to have to hit the trails really hard, uh, especially at Baylor and Houston, if they want to keep their jobs uh, as the head coach there. Uh, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12 Pack as we got you ready for Rivalry Week. I hope you enjoy the games this weekend. And uh, 
for Tyler and myself, I, I want to wish y'all a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your family. Enjoy the football all weekend long. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be back next week as we get you ready for championship Saturday, selection Sunday. There's going to be a lot to talk about next week.